Bordy. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, welcome to the Big Travel Podcast and I'm Lisa Francesca-Nand. This is a very special episode on which my guest, Will Bolsover, from Natural World Safaris, is also launching his own podcast. Ever since university, when he spent a year camping out in the bush in Cameroon, Will has made travel his business. From tracking tigers in Siberia to finding hidden corners of Madagascar, and most recently spending 48 minutes in the Antarctic, followed by 11 nights in hotel quarantine. Yes, it's not always straightforward, but it certainly sounds absolutely magical. Will Bolsova is on the Big Travel Podcast. I'd say thank you for coming here, but actually I've come to you. <laughs> it just so happens that you live 10 minutes, actually probably about 30 seconds. Uh, I was exaggerating with the 10 minutes, 30 seconds down the road from me. It's quite handy. It's wonderful to have you on this special episode, which combines the Big Travel Podcast and your own podcast. Just tell us a little bit, first of all, about what you do. So I run a company called Natural World Safaris. So we run sort of trips worldwide and we use the safari concept across 42 destinations worldwide Africa, Asia, Latin America, the polar regions etc. Be using that sort of overland journey concept throughout all of those destinations. Um, so sort of from adventure through to luxury we pretty much do anything. That sounds amazing, that's a, a dream job uh, for many people. How did you get into that? I did French and African and Asian studies down here at Sussex Uni years ago. Then from there, I started uh, leading trips or guiding in Francophone Africa. So Morocco, Madagascar, Ghana, Gabon, Sao Tome, and, and then later sort of the, the Congos and CARs and stuff like that. So, and it was, it was generally primate based. So I then set up a company called World Primate Safaris. And then we added in big cats and then bears. And then it got very complicated from a marketing point of view. So we put it all under Natural World Safaris, which is what we are now. I love the way you describe adding in big cats and bears. I'm kind of like seeing you chucking them into a pot. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. guessing you didn't chuck them into a pot. No, exactly. No, it was, it was sort of, it was really, so we try and concentrate on that, um, the focus on right place, right time. So a lot of other companies sort of are destination based, whereas we say, okay, gorillas where's the best place in the world to see them and then we tailor and, and um, structure everything around that you know tigers etc or polar bears things like that so we really use that sort of right place right time concept and then um, and then structure everything around that you know in terms of the majority of the stuff we do is tailor-made so bespoke to what our clients want but equally we do specialist led departures etc as well and, and some small groups so if i wanted to come to you and say i want to take my kids to the Galapagos, which I really do, by the way, mm. how would you then go about doing that? So generally, Galapagos is a, is a 
slightly more tricky because it's it's set departures you've got set itineraries etc so but we work with a lot of different boats out there so again a lot of people would just do boat based we generally would mix land based and boat based activities so that you get the best of both worlds and and that's actually the one destination that i took my son when he was five to out to galapagos and, and he absolutely loved it because it's very sort of um not hands-on, but it's a lot more interactive, you know what I mean? So you get quite close with the iguanas and stuff, and we're obviously doing snorkeling and things. You know, he saw his first shark, you know, at the age of five, sort of swinging, swimming on my back. You know, he was just holding onto my back and sort of dipping down every now and then to see what was below him, so turtles and sharks and stuff. So Were you adventurous growing up? This sounds... I mean, you went. You didn't go straight into study French and African studies. Where does the, the interest in that come from? I've got to admit, I'm not really sure. We travelled a bit as a family, and then I was always... Definitely interested in wildlife. Like a lot of kids, I wanted to be a vet at one stage. My parents thought I was going to be a priest. Um, so, and I ended up doing what I'm doing. So You could have combined the two, a vet priest. Exactly. I mean, no, nobody does that, do they? Exactly. Nobody does that. Exactly. If you weren't Animal a successful... Yeah, exactly. Or you weren't a successful vet, you'd need a priest. I, I think that's a very good combination. <laughs> exactly. We should bring back the vet priest or reinstate or uh, instate the vet priest. Uh, right. Yeah, so you had an interest in wildlife growing up and yeah. then you studied and then mm. went off travelling from yeah. there. Yeah. How did the idea for the, the business come about? So I worked for um, a company that just did gorilla safaris in Uganda, Rwanda. I helped run the UK office for that and then helped out in Uganda, Rwanda as well. And really then I was working there, it was, it was a very niche company, a great company. Um, and then I was like, hang on a minute, there's no one that really specialises just in the primate side of things, sort of on, on a global scale, which a lot of people thought I was quite strange doing because it was very niche. So we did about, I think it was about two years, three years as world primate safaris. So just doing gorillas in Uganda, Rwanda and sort of Congo, CAR, lemurs in Madagascar, chimps in um, sort of Tanzania, orangutans in Borneo. And that worked because we were so niche and we sort of built a name for ourselves. And that's when we sort of said, right, we can do this with the big cats. And then, okay, we can do this with the bears, you know, so it was sort of a natural sort of evolution from there. Where's the most unusual out there destination that you currently offer i've always loved um madagascar madagascar is just sort of it's it's the unsung hero um i mean the endemic fauna and flora there is is absolutely incredible um one of the sort of last sort of strongholds in in the world you get a lot of endemic species that you just don't find anywhere else in the world um but it's if you think about it it's never on the front cover of a magazine or anything like that and it should be you know it, it needs so much help it's one of the um, worst examples that you can have, worst case studies of deforestation um, at the moment. Um, so, yeah, it needs to be sort of put out there and, and we do a lot of business in Madagascar. It's a, it's a tricky destination to work in as well, but it's stunning in terms of the wildlife. You know, even Antananarivo, the capital, is is a beautiful place to be with the red-tiled roofs and the sort of hustle and bustle and the, the large avenues from the sort of French colonial times and stuff. But then the wildlife that's there, the lemurs, the, you know, the chameleons, the leaf-tailed geckos, which you literally can be sort of a metre away from a tree and your guide will be saying, OK, there's a leaf-tailed gecko there and, you, you know, show me where it is. And you're, you're sort of standing there looking at it blankly because you can't see it's the camouflage on it. It's just so incredible. So there's a huge amount to see, you know, and it's, it's a great destination to work in as well. Great, friendly sort of people and stuff as well. What's the most Madagascan thing that has ever happened to you? Because to me, Madagascar is like the cartoon with my kids. Yeah. You know, I haven't been, you know, there's yeah. the, it's King Louis, the yeah. lemurs. I don't know if you've seen it. The, yeah. My cultural references are clearly very low at this point. <laughs> uh, what's, do you remember any moments that really stand out from your trips to Madagascar that you think, oh, wow? 
I think just with Madagascar, it's all about being, it's up close and personal. You know, in terms of the wildlife is literally there right in front of you. It's quite interactive. And that's why it's, it's a great destination for sort of families, you know, young families, um, as well as sort of, you know, adults, etc. There's something for everyone there. But it's more the sort of intimacy of the destination. You know, it is very sort of close and personal. You get sort of lemurs bouncing across the sort of lawns in front of you in some destinations. Um, you know, the Indri, which is the largest sort of lemur that... Uh, still exists today sort of about four and a half foot teddy bear like sort of individual is like it has these haunting calls in the morning you know as the as the sort of sun's rising over the the rainforest and stuff so um there's a huge amount there but also it's about the small weird and wonderful stuff in madagascar as i say the the chameleons and the geckos and everything like that which is great as well you go to antarctica as well i believe yeah tell me about that <laughs> i mean apart from the fact it's, the fact it's cold um yeah no antarctica we do a lot down there we do um we often do our own exclusive expedition ships down there um we've done we've hosted film crews down there um very well-known photographers, etc., and then we also have sort of departures that we sort of sell into as well. So, so it's a great destination. Um, pretty, pretty wild. Um, quite a difficult destination destination to work in, but, um, but yeah, we've done a lot there. And just, Tell me some of the difficulties you have there. I suppose it's the weather. The weather is always, you know, people nowadays, you know, they think that. Um, I mean, it's respectfully, but that, you know, if you've paid to go somewhere, we, and we've had a lot of wealthy people going down there, you know that. It should be accessible, you know, and whereas you have to be patient with Antarctica and the polar regions in general, you know, if the weather closes in, you can't do anything, you know, you can't disembark the ship to to go ashore, you know, you can't fly that plane in there to, to sort of bring people out because it's the end of their trip or whatever, you know, we've had people on super yachts down there that have been stuck there for two, three, four days, you know, because the weather's closed in, so you can't get the plane there. It's the nature of the beast, and, and Antarctica, it, it is a beast, you know, and, it, and it's a beautiful beast, but you've got to be um, very respectful of that still, you know, and I think these days the world is so accessible, which is great in some ways, and, and, it, and in a way it makes our jobs a lot easier, but equally you've got to be respectful of that and realise that you're still working corners of the world that are inaccessible. Do you ever have some really tricky customers? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, we do, we do. Um, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. No, <laughs> no, um, we do have tricky customers, and but you see it from both sides as well. You know, in terms of they've paid a lot of money to do X or Y, and, and sometimes it's difficult to deliver that, as I say, because of weather or something like that. But it's, you know, we've had some people that have been, for example, stuck in Antarctica and. And I was like, look, we can't get your plane in to get you out. And they're like, well, I'll just pay more. And it's like, well, no, it's not quite about the money, but I appreciate well, the offer. We need a bigger plane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's more just about the sort of the safety element of it. So, you know, you have to sort of take that on the chin sometimes. And generally people are very understanding, you know, in terms of when it comes to that safety aspect, you know, that's you've got to take it on board. Adventure, travel, you know, things going wrong with travel mm. is actually a part of the experience, isn't yeah, it? exactly. Have you ever had a situation in your travel where things have gone terribly wrong? Yeah, no, we've had a few of them. Some of them I'd talk about, some of them I wouldn't. Um, but that's the, the sort of, again, that's the nature of the beast. But I mean, just now we've just come back from Antarctica, for example, Basically, we were staging that from South Africa to access from there. So we have um, a, a private jet taking you down into Antarctica. Um, then the jet had issues, which was nothing to do with, with the flight to Antarctica, but that needed to be repaired. So then we had another plane to take us down. 
but then the trip was put back two or three times, I think, when we were in, in Cape Town waiting to sort of depart. And that was purely because of the weather windows. You know, you've got very finite sort of windows to often operate in. Just the day before we left as well, the, um, the new um, COVID variant came out, the Om- Omicron. And so we left and I'd spoken to my office before and I was meant to be in the States. So, um, you know, following this trip, so I had 10 days of back-to-back meetings, as, as did the client. And... Um, so we said, look, you need to inform us if, if the US looks so it's going to close. So we got to Antarctica, um, got a message that the States was closing, spent 48 minutes in Antarctica and got on the plane and came back. <laughs> so, yeah, so it wasn't, it wasn't the most successful trip. Um, we, left some, we left the clients there because they didn't need to come back. And this was a, a special case when we, we could leave the clients and they were looked after and hosted correctly and were in contact with them 24 hours a day. So that wasn't a problem. But... Um, the lead client on the trip and myself uh, came back and then we were trying to get to the States and obviously then that shut down quite quickly as well because of this variant and then we managed to get back to Kenya and then um, so instead of spending time in Antarctica in the States I spent 10 days in hotel quarantine in the UK just outside Heathrow I was going to get around to that because you're fresh out of your at the time I was talking you're two days out of hotel quarantine yeah yeah. I mean how insane did you go it was it was weird I was quite anxious about going in actually I was quite worried that I was going to um, sort of get quite stressed and actually it went really quickly which was quite strange and um I worked a lot, um, and that that was pretty much it. And then it was the next day, <laughs> and then you you did the same again. The meals, as everyone has said, weren't particularly great. But you know, in terms of when you look at things in in context of what goes on in the world, you know, you had four walls, you were warm, you had hot food and hot and cold water, so you can't complain that much. I just think it was managed a bit, sort of um, strangely from the sort of political side of it. You know, so that's a, a whole other discussion. But but no, the actual quarantine was it was pretty dismal but you've just got to get your head around it and get on with it you know we had a sort of you know 20 meter by 20 meter car park to walk around and, and that was it for 20 minutes a day i met someone there and we had a little mulled wild wine sessions in the in the yard sometimes obviously socially distanced of course um how did you get the wine do they allow you to have alcohol i think i'd just get trashed for the whole 10 yeah. 11 days on my own. well yeah so you could have um you could get orders in so you could do delivery and stuff like that and then it was a bit sort of prison style so we would boil mulled wine in the kettle um, and, and and that was it I'm but, not sure if they have that in prison but you know yeah exactly <laughs> the mulled wine please but, um, but no I also realised that if it did get too much and I wanted to end it all I thought well I can't jump out the window because the window didn't open so that was a bit of a nightmare and then I thought I can't string myself up from the light bulb because it was spotlights and I said well okay the last thing would be a toaster in the bath but I didn't have a bath and I didn't have a toaster so I was like I was stuck there for 10 days did you genuinely we're joking about it but did you genuinely did you you genuinely have sort of dark thoughts about it no I was was pretty good actually in terms of um, I can understand how that happens but I I say it in jest I think weirdly in terms of it was day 6 that was uh, the worst day for me I don't know why it's 10 days in quarantine but day 6 Everyone that I was in touch with that was also in quarantine, everyone had a bad day on day six. And I don't know why. It must be something how the human body works or something like that. It was it was quite strange. But There must be some psychological reason for yeah, it, mustn't there? I mean, exactly. that's sort of halfway, over halfway through, but you, you've still got a long way exactly. to go. So you'd think that you'd sort of... But no, so my office definitely, because I was on the phone to them, they definitely all knew that I was struggling on that day. They sort of kept their distance. <laughs> I would be 
really going out of my mind. I mean, I had to quarantine last summer when I came back from Spain for 14 days in my flat really, yeah. at the time with my kids. And that was yeah. really hard. I really, really struggled. But are you used to spending quite a lot of time on your own? Because have you done a lot of solo travel expeditions and things like that? I've done quite a lot, yeah, in terms of... So a lot of the recce's I do are often by myself. Um, so... I can remember, you know, Kate's, Kate's sitting here with us now, but she was one of the only people I was in touch with when I was in um, Siberia. So we're tracking Siberian tigers out there. So, and that's working with a conservationist in the, the middle of nowhere. So it's a, I think it's three or four hours from London to Moscow. Then you get a connecting flight, which is another 12 or 14 hours east to Far Eastern Russia. Um, you arrive um, there um, in Habarovsk. Then it's a four and a half to five hour drive across the tundra in this sort of um, diesel-fueled sort of ex-army vehicle and you arrive into this forest reserve where there's no one and just in these little wood cabins. Very basic. but And you've got no comms at all, so I'd occasionally get sat link um, connection and, and so I'd get a message out to, to Kate and she'd sort of let me know what was going on and I'd send little updates to her and stuff like that. So that was very, you know, that was sort of very much by ourselves there, you know, and, and I've done that. And so I lived in Cameroon in the middle of the bush for a year as well. So there are various sort of things that makes me think that, okay, hotel quarantine, whilst I sort of complained about it a bit, you know, it's um, it wasn't the hardest thing in the you world. You can't just drop, I've lived in the bush in Cameroon for a year on my own into the conversation <laughs> without me sort of picking up on that. So tell me about your year in the bush in Cameroon. So that was, that was when I was intervening sort of university years. So most people went away to, my friends and stuff went to Paris to a university or something like that. But um, I spent a year living with a Bantu family in down the sort of south, central south area, sort of in the Francophone area. So I lived there and ran a, a development project. So um, was doing various sort of construction work, teaching, uh, animal husbandry, distance learning, etc., etc. So uh, working for this very small foundation there. So that was sort of, yeah, that was quite a sort of solitary project as well. What was the standout moment for me? It was a year, but what, give me um, some standout moments from that time. Standout moment was probably going home. <laughs> no, oh, thank was, God, don't yeah, worry. Exactly. No, I'm was, out of the bush. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was sort of, so it was within about an hour's walk of the nearest sort of village or, or town where you had sort of, you could buy a beer and stuff like that. So, um, so you were in contact, but I don't know, the, the standout moments were really sort of making it work. So in terms of, I ended up getting a, um, a builder who I'd worked with in the UK to come out for about six weeks, six to eight weeks to help build this resource centre. So it was actually seeing tangible things coming from from what you'd sort of put in place um the distance learning courses etc um build a football pitch as everyone does you know in mean? so cleared an area of bush well, dig a well to do well as well no i didn't no. didn't do the well but well. we did the football pitch but yeah. we, you know it's all little things like that which had a you know which without sounding too sort of i don't know it, it's just the little things which had a big impact you know I mean, on myself and and on the people that i was working with so yeah it was, it was good when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, 
as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Did you feel isolated from back home? In a- yeah, no, that was pretty... That was still sort of... Um, sound old now, but that was basically no emails. If it was, it was very sort of, you know, wind up the computer and, and cross your fingers that mm. the email gets through. But it was still sort of, um, you know, writing letters and stuff like that. So, you'd, you know, I'd walk in out of the post office sort of once a week, see if I had any mail, you know, and, and that was the time, you know, you'd read the letter five, ten times over the next however yeah. long and you keep your letters and you reread them, which, you know, looking at now is, is quite nice, isn't it? It is. It's lovely um, thinking about those times that letters mm. meant so much, didn't yeah. they? Being in touch yeah. with people meant so much and yeah. writing them and receiving them. And yeah. it was actually good in one way to have that sort of impassioned and emotional response to something, but obviously not as good because you can't just pick up a phone and, yeah. you know, talk to someone when, when you need to. Yeah. Uh, what was it about coming home that, that stood out? Was it just an incredible feeling? I think it's always difficult in terms of with travel. I think it's the transient periods, and you you will have had this, I'm sure, as well. You know, in terms of before you go away and when you come back, it's that sort of um, that transient period, which I think is always quite tricky. I think you love it, and it's the excitement. But you're, you know, if you're going away, you're you're half here, and your brain is half somewhere else. You know, thinking about what, if it's work or whatever, what you've got to do, how you're going to do it, how you're going to structure it. And the same when you're coming back. You know, you come back and. It's exciting to be back and see everyone that you sort of love and spend time with and stuff. But equally, you know, you're still, it takes time for part of you to catch up with your, with yourself, you know, back in, in the sort of Western world. You know, and, and even in sort of from 10 days in hotel quarantine, it's quite weird sitting here now sort of interacting with people. It's like, okay, that's strange. <laughs> it does. That's a really, really good point. Those sort of transient days before you go on a trip, but also when you're about to come home. I yeah. get that even when I'm just going to, to Spain to see my family, where I go very yeah. often. You know, you don't have to be in, in the bush in Cameroon, although yeah. that obviously, you know, adds another dimension. But you start to think about, you start to almost leave the place you're in yeah. and that makes you feel sad, yet also looking forward and planning and see it, it's one of those it, it's a, a time of great reflection yeah. and I think that's one of the beauties of travel that's what it gives us it gives us that that step out of the mundane and the everyday yeah. a, a greater level of intensity and, and those those transient periods around the actual travel itself yeah. them going from one place to the other are really yeah. quite intense sometimes no for me it's it's um it's always strange the Probably one of the most intense periods for me on travel is when I get on the plane and I'm sitting on the plane. In terms of, until then, I'm not really engaged in what I'm doing. I've packed my stuff and I'm, I'm en route and stuff like that. But, but I always find that a really um, emotional time in terms of, not bad emotional, but I can really sort of tap into sort of my thoughts and feelings. And I write a lot in those situations. And I don't know, it's that sort of, you're there, you're in your little sort of, you're compartmentalised and you're on your way and then you can really sort of set your mind to thinking about friends, family, kids, you know, or what you're doing or whatever. It's just, it's a really, everything is ramped up. It's a really sort of intense emotional time. I love it. It is. And, and you have children. You have three boys, don't yeah. you? Yeah. Because I know you've got one more than I have, so <laughs> extra work. Yeah. Um, how does that work with your travelling? Generally, it's, um, it's not so bad. They're used to it nowadays, you know, in terms of I've always done it. So it's sort of, it's easier to deal with than, than you would think. And they sort of, I mean, it's quite sweet in terms of, we were talking about something the other day with my, my son and, um, and it came up and he, I said something like, um, so, so what, do, what do you think of my job? You know, what's the highlight? 
He said, well, you're an explorer. I tell everyone you're an explorer, Daddy. And I was like, I was quite chuffed, you know. <laughs> he says, well, I'm not an explorer, you know, in, in terms of this very sort of exciting way to put it. And it's nice to see that in from a child's point of view. Um, but um, there is sort of, I think it's very easy to jump on the explorer bandwagon these days. And there are definitive explorers out there. You know, um, I'm just very fortunate in the job that I do that I get to see and access a lot of areas in the world. And through the company, we try and do it differently. You know what I mean? In terms of if it's tracking Siberian tigers, you know, in terms of the largest feline predator left on the planet, you know, not many companies do that. Or we're the first company to sort of legally set up swimming with blue whales in Sri Lanka and um, sperm whales in Dominica and stuff like this. These are all sort of things we try and do differently. And we work with a lot of sort of profiles that sort of help us along the way in terms of photographers, conservationists, etc., as well, which is great. What's the best thing about doing your job? Before, I think it was accessing wildlife. And now I think as I've um, grown up, I think it's probably accessing the people that surround the wildlife, the communities, the conservationists, um, the people that have a direct impact on the environments that you're in, you know, which I think when I first had the opportunity to do this, I think, you know, you're excited to be able to see sort of this amazing wildlife. And it's still it's still a, a great privilege to do that. But then I think it's even more of a privilege to be able to interact with the people that surround that wildlife and those environments, which are key to their survival as well. If you don't sort of engage with those communities, then the wildlife won't survive anyway. So it's, it's essential. It, it feels like you're very engaged with your surroundings and uh, active on your journeys, which is a big part of it. And going back to what your kids said about being an explorer, that is certainly exploring. You know, you don't have to um, be slinging on a, a backpack and going solo somewhere, although you often are, um, to be an explorer. Yeah. I, I very much believe in exploring at home, yeah. you know, particularly in times when we can't travel as much or yeah. for whatever reason, people might not be able to travel as much for money or time or kids or work. Yeah. Um, I absolutely think you can be an urban explorer in your yeah. own in your own city. Yeah. And that's, that's something that I love doing personally but is there ever any time that you just switch off when you travel have you you know what's what's been the most serene and peaceful moment for you probably something like that time in Siberia <laughs> you know what I, mean? I think that that was pretty um that was pretty isolated I mean also we um we do an area in Madagascar which is pretty unexplored we we're one of the first sort of I think we we're the first company in there but which is in the central area of Madagascar and that was walking I was hosting a journalist there and um and also someone filming and it was just walking in this area, which was just just sand valleys. It was a bit like um, I imagine was it Joshua National Park? Is it Joshua? yeah in um, in the states, um, with all the sort of sandstone eroded valleys and, and riverways and stuff. But there was just no one there at all. You know, and you just sort of get in a rhythm, and you're walking, and you're just looking at and engaging with what's sort of going on around you. And and that's sort of um, that's a real privilege to be able to access those areas. We're in little uh, one man tents, which. Um, there were meant to be two-man tents, but I think it's the smallest two-man tent that I've ever been in. I don't think I could even lie down in it. I think my head was out of the end, which was great for stargazing, but not for mosquitoes. But um, but yeah, and it's those moments when you're just sort of lying there and you're just like, you're sort of like, yeah, this is this is really lucky to be able to do this with sort of a handful of like six people there with you, and that's it. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing. And where do you see things going now? You know, we've had the pandemic. You have been grounded a little bit, but you, you're obviously travelling again now. You just spent 48 minutes in the Antarctic. I mean, yeah. who, who ha who's done that? Yeah, exactly. I think it could be a record, yeah. <laughs> Not one to be proud of. Um, can no, they stick a flag know. down, get a handful <laughs> exactly. of snow, off exactly. you go. Off. I mean, do they have souvenirs? No, exactly, they didn't. They're um, missing a trick, seriously. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, I could, should have just quickly nabbed a penguin or something but like you that. Should, but. Next time you should nab a penguin. Yeah, exactly. But... Um, yeah, what's next for you? 
I don't know, you say the pandemic's over, is it? No, did I say it's over? <laughs> I don't think I did. No, it's, it's sort of, I think, I know what you mean, it's, it's sort of, um, it seems to be lifting, I think, in terms of the things next is uh, we want to get the business sort of back running up to sort of um, the right stage again, but... We're trying to sort of do that in a more sort of um, conscientious way as well. I think when COVID hit sort of in, well, it's now almost 20 months ago, I think, or something like that, it was quite interesting to see in terms of you saw, you know, empty streets with sort of deer walking down the streets and stuff like that, you know, sort of, and it was like, this is a chance for the world to change. I was sort of looking at that sort of slightly excited in a way. I thought, okay, this is the sort of kickstart we need to sort of change our priorities and stuff. And it was talked about and things. And I think the sad thing is, and we're guilty of it as well, is that everyone seems to just sort of be cranking up the machines again, you know, straight back into what we were before, which I think is a missed opportunity to reset the priorities and stuff. And it's easy to sit here and say that, but I think we need to take a long, hard look at, at what we are prioritizing in, in sort of the world in relation to a lot of things in terms of, well, the obvious one is climate change, etc. And I think it's just a bit of a shame that we're just sort of jumping straight back into where we were before and we're guilty of doing it as well we're trying to run things sort of on a a sort of elevate and refine it more in terms of what we were doing and how we were managing things but also we need to be more conscious as a company and also worldwide in terms of what impact we're having on the surrounding environments and stuff and you know covid was was basically as far as we know a result of human wildlife sort of conflict, you know, sort of overlapping environmental areas, you know, which was in the wet markets, etc. Um, unless it did come from a lab, I don't know. Are we allowed to say that on? We on don't the know. Do we? I exactly. it, yeah, we can say what we like, but yeah. um, I just don't think anyone really knows at the moment, no. do they? No, exactly. But Many that encroachment is, is sort of an issue, whether that was the cause of COVID or not. And I think that the travel industry has a, a huge responsibility there. But how we do that is very difficult to sort of work out. Travel can be a great force for good, but also it can be negative. So it's trying to get that balance right. We need to be sort of conscious of what's going on and be proactive on it and try and sort of manage things effectively and constructively. Because what happens if something is suddenly shut down in one area across the world it has a huge impact right through from from the top down you know from companies like mine right down to the individual guide on the ground in Botswana or South Africa and stuff like that and I think just dropping sort of travel bans on things without necessarily looking at the effective data there is you've got to be careful with doing it but I understand the reasons behind it as well so it's, it's a very fine balance so I think it's difficult. It is a fine balance and I bang on about this all the time on TV and radio is that it's we need to be able to be safe of course safety yeah. is a priority but we also need to keep people afloat yeah. and it's not just about big airlines and hotels and huge industries that employ a lot of people which are of course very important it's about the tiny little people yeah. and the businesses and the people on the ground the taxi drivers the tea rooms you yeah. know getting people to this country we need tourism yeah. here you know it's not we talk about travel as something of going away but it's it's actually it's a, it's a mutual thing we need to bring people here and we, we do need to do it safely but we yeah. absolutely need to carry on yeah. doing it we really do yeah, for, no, for financial reasons for emotional reasons for connecting reasons with friends family businesses or people all over the world and I think yeah I think the sort of without getting too political about it I think in the UK the travel industry is often seen as the airlines it's like hang on a minute there's a heck of a lot more than just the airlines and 
the travel industry is one of the only industries in the last 18, 20 months that has not had industry specific support. And I think that's a great shame because there are a heck of a lot of exceedingly, exceedingly skilled people within the industry that are under a lot of pressure. Um, and I think that needs to be looked at, you know, in terms of the furlough scheme, I understand it. But the last thing we needed was people being paid to sit at home and not work. We need people to be paid to be in the office to help postponing all our clients, which we've had like a 94% success, 95% success of postponement of all our clients over the last 20 months, which is exceptional. And our clients want to, you know, provide that loyalty, etc. So, you know, I think that's a shame. We, we've needed the industry sector support and we haven't had it and, and people still need it. Okay, you've got Sybil's loans, but you have to pay them back. You know what I mean? So it would be nice to sort of see some sort of dedicated support coming out for the industry, but um, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Fingers crossed, eh? Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you my last question now. Yeah. My last question is always about music. Um, I'm going to ask you to name one song that reminds you of a memorable time and place of travel. What is that song and what were you doing? Um, I think probably, uh, it's a good question, uh, a group I was like... Hang on, what do you mean probably it's a good question? <laughs> no, no, probably, uh, I was oh, thinking no, my, no, coming no. out with my answer. It's a great question. It's a fantastic question. <laughs> um, probably my answer is, um, is uh, I love my reggae, but I'm going to give that a miss. I'm going to go for uh, Big Calm by Morchiba. I always remember that that was when I was leading a, a trekking trip through the um, anti-Atlas Mountains in Morocco. And I think it was either sunrise or sunset and we were on this ridge line and I left the clients alone for a bit and I just had my Walkman at the time and uh, listened to to that track. And it's the vocals on it and the way the, the track sort of sort of builds is, is fantastic. So sitting on a ridge line there, a little moment of sort of, I think I'd been out there on a sort of three or four month contract and it was just a sort of five minute sort of moment to myself. And, and that's always what stays with me. Yeah. Mochiba's pretty good for travel, absolutely, yeah. for uh, for moments like yeah. that, for Mochiba moments. Reggae as well, I have to say. Reg- if I'm in a beach bar, I want some reggae. Yeah, I want definitely. some Bob Marley. Definitely. I want cocktails and uh, yeah. you know, the smell of fires burning nearby yeah. and some Bob Marley Mochiba too, so. were going to be playing in Brighton the other day, but it was cancelled. So, yeah, exactly. <sighs> Been put back till February, so I'm waiting for that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Big Travel Podcast and for using this episode to launch your own podcast, Travel Podcasters sticking together and I wish you every success continued success with the business and with the podcast as well brilliant thank you very much where can we find you Uh, so we are the company is naturalworldsafaris.com my Instagram is at Will Bolsover or Portraits on Humanity wonderful thank you so much Will and thank you so much for listening coming up we have Nobel Peace Prize winner Rebecca Johnson that will be with you very soon 